good morning, Living Hope Church family and friends. We are so glad you could tune in with us today, whether you're watching live on the other side of a screen, whether you're tuning into our podcast or even maybe listening to us on the radio. We're glad that you are with us today. As I have the past several weeks, I want to remind us of this truth, that the gospel is resilient, the word of God cannot be stopped, and the local church is alive and well during these trying times in which we find ourselves. If we've never met before, my name is Aaron. I have the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. And again, I am so glad you're tuned in today. If you have a copy of God's Word, and you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 is where we will be this morning as we start this series that we've titled Joyful. And this morning, we're going to be talking about this topic of social distancing. Joyful, the topic of social distancing. Philippians chapter 1, if you will stand with me wherever you are today, if you're in your living room, at work, wherever you are, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 5 as the Apostle Paul writes to this church. And he says these words, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for this day, Father, for the privilege, the opportunity, God, that we have to gather. And God, although our gathering looks different in this season of life, Father, we thank you that we can still gather. Father, we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of what is such an uncertain season, Lord, that you're still moving and working through your church, that people are meeting Jesus and that the local church is being strengthened. Father, now as we come to this time, Lord, where we dive into your word, Jesus, I ask that you speak to us today. God, give us ears we need to hear this morning, hearts to receive your word willingly. God, and hands and feet to live out the truths that we encounter in Philippians today. Father, I pray at the end of this message that we're more like Jesus than we were just a few minutes ago. Father, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. As we've remained in this very unique set of circumstances these last few weeks, I've been asking myself a very specific question, knowing that we were heading into the book of Philippians here. And the question I've continued to ask myself over these past few weeks is this. Are you always happy? I've asked that of myself personally. Are, are you always happy? Am I always happy? And what's interesting is the more I've pondered that and thought about it, it's really the, the truth is that even without thinking, I think most of us could answer that question rather quickly that the truth is, is no, we're not always happy. Yet how much time, and I think this has been revealed in our lives over these past four or five weeks, how much time do we spend chasing and pursuing happiness only to come and find that happiness is a temporary emotion that ultimately ends up being fleeting? You know, there's nothing wrong with happiness, but if happiness always serves as the sole driver of our lives and the one thing that we always pursue, the truth is, is that we're always going to find ourselves at a loss. And I'm sure that this, this reality and this truth has rung true for you and your family this past month in this season that we're in. Just think about these few things. 
Maybe you were allowed to go home this past month and work remotely from your house. Your company allowed you to do that and you were happy because you were going to be given that opportunity. But then after a week or two of doing that, the pressure of being stuck at home began to really weigh and wear on you personally. While maybe you were happy for the extra time that you were going to be able to spend with your spouse during this season in which we find ourselves, well, the pressure of temporary job loss is now weighing upon your family financially and the future of your life is a little bit rocky and uncertain. Maybe now that your kids are home for an extended period of time, at first you were happy because you were going to get that extra time with your children. But eventually, I think of, we've all learned, if you have children, that that extra time has led to occasional strain on the relationship that you have with your kids. Let's be real here for a minute. We love our children, but sometimes we just don't like them. Listen, if there's one thing that you and I have learned on this journey through life, it's this, that happiness is always circumstantial. Happiness is always circumstantial. If life is good, then often we find ourselves being happy. But if life is not good, where often it isn't, we're not happy. But as a Jesus follower, what I want us to see in the book of Philippians today is that we're invited to ask a different question. You see, you and I today don't have to ask the happiness question because if we're Jesus followers, you and I don't have to be bound by circumstantial happiness. Instead, we get invited into something deeper called joy. Rather than being bound to the pursuit of happiness, we're invited because of Jesus to pursue joy each day. So let's ask a different question if you're a Christ follower this morning. Are you always joyful? Are you the kind of person that is always joyful? And if you love Jesus, the answer to that question can be yes. That if we truly understand joy and the gift that we have in Jesus, that we get to pursue and choose joy every day. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Hear me this morning. Happiness is always based on circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, is always based on a relationship. We say that again. Happiness is always based on circumstances. Joy is always based on a relationship, a relationship that's founded and rooted in the gospel. If you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus as your Savior, it means you're relationally connected now to Jesus Christ. It means that you have the ability now to have joy and to choose joy every single day. Joy means that I have fixed my hope, my eternity, and my future on Jesus. Therefore, no matter what life throws my way, I'm right with Jesus, and that's enough. Therefore, I choose to be joyful every day. And then here's what happens. When I choose joy, it means I'm fixing my attention and my focus upon Jesus, so I'm choosing joy today. What happens is that choice and that relational connection to Jesus then begins to carry over and trickle down to every other area of my life. That means that in every area of life that I can increase my joy. I don't have to be bound by happiness. I can increase my joy. Because I've found satisfaction in Jesus, I can increase my joy. And today I want to dive into a very specific topic on how to increase our joy in our relationships, in our uh, connection with other Christians. That's the key here. This only applies to your connection with other Christ followers, right? Because of as, as part of God's family, we're going to learn today in Philippians 1 that the connections and relational connections we have with God's family can be a great source of joy 
for you and I. I think this is interesting because it's really applicable this morning. In this season of social distancing in which we find ourselves as a culture, we're really caught in this really strange tension, this relational tightrope, if maybe we could call it today, where we have relational strain because of social distancing, some of the rules that we need to follow, but at the same time, we have relational longing at the exact same point. Because of distance that we're experiencing between our friendships and relationships with other believers, which is necessary, we all, uh, we all acknowledge that. Because of that distance, we're far from people, there's a relational strain that's taking place, and we're doing our best to stay connected, but the reality is, is that relationships are strained right now. But in that same season of social distancing, there's also some deeper relational closeness that's occurring that maybe wasn't happening before with those in your household, which at times, if not checked, can also lead to relational strain. And so we're caught in this weird tension of relational strain and relational longing where we love our family and sometimes there's strained relationship there and then we long to be with other Christians and we can't right now. So there's relational strain occurring. You see, friends, God created us for human interaction. And it works best when it's practiced and viewed rightly, when we can thrive in joy in our relationships. How do we, how do, we do that? Turn with me to Philippians 1. Let me give you some context here. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Like many of Paul's letters, if you read the New Testament, he pens this, this letter from a jail cell. We know that Paul is chained now to a Roman guard. He's awaiting trial, trial before Nero. If you don't know who Nero is, he was one of the most notorious, evil, twisted leaders of this day. Yet, despite his circumstances, Paul spends this entire letter, as we're going to see here, showing us how to live with joy despite the circumstances of life. Look at verse 1 with me in Philippians 1. Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers or the pastors and the deacons. In this letter here, unlike letters that you and I write, when Paul writes this letter, as was common in the day, he starts by beginning with the author first. Notice here in verse 1, Paul mentions himself first, and then he also mentions that Timothy is part of this letter as well. Timothy was a young pastor that Paul discipled during this day. Maybe you could call him Paul's intern in some capacity. But what's interesting is Timothy actually didn't help write this letter here. By the time Paul gets down to verse 3 in Philippians 1, Paul goes from the plural voice to the singular voice. He's the sole author of this letter. But notice, too, how Paul identifies himself in verse 1. He says, the, the servants of Christ Jesus. Your Bible might say the slaves of Christ Jesus, depending on your translation here. I think the best word that we could really translate that word servant or slave is this idea of a, a bond servant. Sometimes we read verse 1 and we read servant of Christ. And we're like, well, slave of Christ. What is Paul really communicating there? Well, a bondservant was somebody who willingly placed themselves under the authority of another person. They let somebody else willingly become their master. You see, as Paul gets into this conversation on how to have joy, he reminds this church in Philippi, you know what? I've willingly placed myself under the authority and the care and the direction of Jesus. And that's where the letter starts. Friends, this whole conversation of joy that we're going to have these next several weeks, if you don't get verse 1 right, you're going to miss the other four chapters. Because if you've never placed yourself under the authority, care, and direction of Jesus, then joy will never make sense in your life. 
You'll never experience true joy apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says at the end of verse 1, he's writing this letter to the entire church, the Christians, the pastors, and the deacons. And from verse 2 to verse 3, we see really this 10-year gap that is present here in Paul's letter. Because the last time that Paul, from what we know, had been in Philippi was all the way back in Acts chapter 16 on one of his missionary journeys. If you remember the story of that missionary journey, Paul led a lady named Lydia and her entire household to Jesus. And then when Paul was in prison, he led the jailer to Jesus and then ultimately the jailer's entire family to Jesus. So now from Acts 16 to Philippians chapter 1, 16, or 10 years has passed between Paul's communication with this church. A lot of time has passed between Paul's time of meeting them and now writing this letter. So what started as this small group that Paul led to Christ has now grown into this thriving church that Paul says brings him joy. But in these first couple verses, Paul tells them how he has joy in his relationship with this church. And I think there's some very practical stuff for us here today. How do I have joy in my Christian relationships? Here's the first one. By remembering others. This is so, so simple, but we can often miss this. By remembering others. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance or all my thinking of you. Paul says every time he remembers the Philippian church, it brings them him joy. Did you know that the way that God created you, that you actually have this memory bank in your mind that stores up every memory that you're ever going to have, every experience, you're going to store that in this memory bank in your mind. If you've ever seen the, the Pixar movie Inside Out, they do a great job putting like pictures to what this is actually happening in your mind. You have this memory system that files away any and all memories that you ever experience. And if you try to remember back on certain circumstances through your life, what you're going to find is typically you'll be in two camps. Either you're going to have like memories that are so vague you barely remember something, or you're going to have memories that are in such detail that, man, you can recall everything about a certain experience. At my house, I'm typically in camp one. My wife has a phenomenal memory. We'll be sitting on the couch some evenings, maybe watching television or something, and she'll say, hey, do you remember 10 years ago when we went and, and did this? And I do like what I call the, the classic husband stare. What? I have no idea what she is talking about. Liz has an incredible memory system in her, her mind, but mine's like three hamsters running on one wheel, and half the time they're on a break. My brain doesn't know what's going on. So what's the principle in verse 3 with this memory inventory here? Watch this. Paul says every time he remembered the Philippians, when he thought on this church... He remembered the good things. Every time he remembered the church in Philippi, he remembered the good things. Let me explain. The temptation here for us is we think, yeah, well, Paul founded this church. In Acts 16, he led them to Jesus. Like, this was probably an amazing church that didn't have any issues. They were probably in complete unison. The Christians loved each other. It was like a Baptist potluck every Sunday morning, man. Fried chicken, mac and cheese, and sweet tea. They were rocking. They just loved each other as a church. Because Paul founded them. Listen, you know there's no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect gathering of believers. Don't you dare amen that from your, your couch right now. It doesn't exist. You see, many times, if you continue to read, which we will over the coming weeks, through the book of Philippians, you're going to find that this church was kind of messed up too. 
In three out of the four chapters of this book, Paul has to actually address the issue of unity over and over with the church at Philippi. They had internal struggles that they were dealing with, tensions that they were experiencing. In chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul actually calls out two church members by name in this letter because they had a little bit of a scuffle at the last business meeting and Paul heard about it. This was a Baptist church through and through. Can you imagine how awkward it was when this letter showed up to the church at Philippi and the pastor got up to read it to everyone and then he by name identifies two church members where Paul said, knock it off. This, was a, this church had some issues and some problems. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect organization because whenever you gather more than one person in the same space, What happens? Movement happens. And with movement, friction happens. And with friction, there's heat. That's tension. It's normal. Just like any other family you're a part of. Think of your family that you you call your family right now. I guarantee your family has a level of dysfunction in its own unique ways. All of our families do. But, listen, a church is the same way. We all have our own level of dysfunction. We all have our own issues. But we choose how we remember people whom we love. Specifically those who are in the body of Christ. Paul knew that the Philippians loved Jesus with their entire being. They were passionate about the mission of Christ. So although they had their issues which needed to be addressed, Paul says, you know what, when I pause And I think about these Christians that I've been united with in Philippi, man, it brings me joy. He put on his Holy Spirit goggles for a second and saw people the way that Jesus saw them in this church. And he said, it just brings me joy. You want to increase your joy this week? Remember people well. Remember people well. You know, I've thought back personally this past week and even this morning on our church, Living Hope Columbus, where you're tuning in today. You know, our church, my my church is far from perfect. Look at their leader, right? We're far from perfect. We have our fair share of weird uncles running around this church. If you're wondering if you're the weird uncle at Living Hope Columbus, the fact that you're wondering who it is means it's probably you. If you can't identify them right away, it's you. But just like every other organization, we have our tensions. We have our issues that we've had to work through as a local body. But I don't focus on that. There's no benefit in that. As I walked through the building today, this morning as we were preparing for this service, I was not recalling tensions that have been present in the life of our church these past two years. Rather, I walked by the nursery and I could hear the voices of the ladies who lead our babies and toddlers in prayer before they have their snack every Sunday morning. I walked through the kids' area and I could see our volunteers standing on the stage in the kids' area doing hand motions and doing their best to lead these children to the presence of Jesus through worship. As I walked through the kids' area, I could see volunteers sitting on medicine balls with Bibles open, teaching the Word of God to children and making sure they have a firm foundation to move forward in this life. I could see our media team in our sound booth joking around with each other, smiling, having a good time. I could see our full worship team up here on this stage praying with each other, singing, 
passionately with each other, playing instruments for the glory of God together. I can see people at the front door of our church with smiles on their faces, cups of coffee ready to go, shaking hands, hugging people. When I think of our church, it brings me joy. When you think on people and remember them, friends, remember the good things and allow God to foster joy in your heart because of it. How else do I increase joy through relationships? Here's the second thing Paul tells us. He says, pray for others. Pray for others. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making, I'm sorry, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy. It sounds so so simple here. This is such a simple verse. In in verse 3, we said just a second ago, Paul said, every time I remember you, every time I, I think upon you, that word there that Paul used in the Greek is used seven times in his letters throughout the letters he writes to the churches. Seven different times. But what's interesting is every time Paul uses that word remember or think from verse 3, he always attaches it to the act of prayer. Every single time. Every time he uses the word remember, he says every time I remember someone, every time I think about them and it brings me joy, I then go and pray for them because it brings me more joy. What's the lesson? As you're pondering and remembering the Christians that God has united you with through a local church, make it a habit to pray for them as well because that will increase your joy. Paul's chained to a Roman guard. He's awaiting trial, likely headed to death. But he says, my joy is increased when I remember you in Philippi because not only am I remembering the good things, but I'm praying for you as well. But it begs the question, how is joy increased in prayer? Two truths, man. Write these down if you're a note taker. This is so important. Joy is never attached to self-preservation, ever. Joy is never attached to self-preservation. Joy is always attached to humility. Joy is never attached to self-preservation. Joy is always attached to humility. Let me explain. Here's what I mean here. If joy is Jesus-dependent, which we said at the beginning of the message, it is. The reason that as a Christian I can have joy and I can choose joy is because I fixed my gaze upon Jesus. And then that fixed gaze, that relationship I have, flows down to every aspect of my life. As the more I focus on Jesus and I focus on eternity and I think on Christ, that's going to flow down to everything I do, how I think about things, who I become as a person day by day. I'm going to have the character of Jesus in me more and more. Here's just a goofy illustration. The more time you spend with someone, the more you become like them, right? So if I'm going to choose joy, I've got to fixate myself on Jesus, focus on Jesus, I'm going to become more like him. It's like if you've ever traveled down south before. We're in Ohio. We're in the north. You travel down south and you go someplace where, like, I don't know, where you order tea. And in the south, they tend to add syllables to words. Like we say sweet tea. They say sweet tay, right? They, they chop it up more and they say it goofy. I don't understand. If you're listening and you're down south, we love you, but you're different, all right? They say things very strange, but here's what happens. Every time I've gone down south on vacation or a mission trip or something, I leave and I go into my first restaurant and I hear them. Every time, you, you got to order sweet tea in the south. You hear them say, sweet tea. And you just kind of chuckle and laugh at yourself. You're going, man, people down here talk funny. And then seven days later when you're going home, what happens? You say it exactly like they do. Because you've been around those people. You spent time with them. They were part of your circle there for a season. What's the lesson here? Just like the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I fix my gaze upon him, the more who he is is going to become part of who I am as well. I'm going to become more like Christ. 
Philippians 2, as we'll see in a couple weeks, says that one of the main characteristics of Christ is humility. That means he was thinking of himself less and other people more. Where does that lead us? This simple conclusion, that the more I pray for people, I'm not concerned about my self-preservation, I'm more concerned about them, the more I'm going to be focused on other people moving forward in my life. That's humility. And what happens when I move away from self-preservation towards other focus, like Jesus modeled? I have joy. Paul tells us over and over. Because prayer moves me from self-preservation to other focus, I get to have joy in my life. This is one of the most countercultural things you can do in our society right now. We live in a self-preservation culture and time. It's the reason you can't find toilet paper anywhere. Lysol's gone. You can't find it. Why? Because people are concerned about self-preservation. But Christians are called towards other care first, towards praying for other people more often, living out the mission of Jesus. Mark 12, 31 says this, Love your neighbor how? As you love yourself. You're supposed to take that effort and energy that you would typically use towards yourself. Listen, I know this might be a little offensive. We're too obsessed with self-care in our culture. We need to be more obsessed with other care as Christians, all right? We're too concerned about ourselves when the mission of Jesus says focus on other people. Romans chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 says while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Jesus was not worried about self-care. He was worried about other people first. You worry about other people, God will fill you with joy. If that frustrated or offended you, you can send me an email today, joe at livinghopecolumbus.com, and I'll get back to you right away. Please don't worry about that. We love to do things that benefit us. But Paul says if you really want to experience joy, remember people and then pray for them. Why? Because joy is not attached to self-preservation. It's always attached to humility. You want to increase your joy? Pray for people. Focus on other people. Serve other people. Last one. This is going to piggyback off it. How do we increase our joy? Through relationships. Third thing Paul says partnership with others. Partnership with others. Notice what he says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says from the moment that Jesus' church was founded, people got saved, Acts chapter 16, they became partners with Paul in the gospel. How does that work? When you get saved, you become a Jesus follower. You're called out of sin into something greater and bigger than yourself, the family of God. Paul here uses the word partnership in verse 5. It's this word koinonia. It's this, this idea of fellowship, of community that's found and present among Christians. Only the gospel in the way that it does, the gospel, this divine act that God has put into place in humanity's story, can take people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different financial standings, various vocations, and bring us together and unite us under the banner of Jesus in the fellowship of the local church. Yet what, what Paul says here, contained in this verse, in their fellowship, he says part of what that fellowship looks like is your partnership is, you cared for me. You cared about my needs. You cared about my life. You can read just a couple chapters later in Philippians where we see that, they had, that the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a monetary gift to make sure that Paul was taken care of. You can see in 2 Corinthians 8 where the Philippians did this on several of occasions to ensure that Paul had his needs cared for. 
See, what was happening is this fellowship of believers, this community of Christians, this family that God had founded were caring for each other well. That goes against our natural tendency. We run to self-preservation all the time. Paul says, you want to experience joy? You want to experience deep, abiding joy that's found only in Jesus? You want to conform more to the image of Christ? Then live out the gospel which says that you care for other people well. Set aside your needs, Philippians 2, for the sake of other people. As I've read these verses this week, man, I've continued to think of our local church and people who have made countless phone calls to check on people. Those who have sent numerous text messages, social media messages. People that have dropped off meals to other people, offered to pick up groceries for folks. So many different things that the the family of God is uniting together during this season. Not just to serve the community, that's necessary. But to serve and care for each other well during this season. Literally giving of themselves away for the sake of other people. And friends, when this family that God has knit together functions rightly... We care well for our own. Often the church is known for shooting each other, for for, for like harming other sheep in the flock. But Paul says, you want to experience joy? Care for each other. Take your self-preservation and push it outwards. Care for other people well. And when I experience that, you know what happens? It brings me joy. When I participate in that and I care for other people, you know what happens? It brings me joy. When I hear of other people in the family of God caring for the other people in the family of God, do you know what happens? It brings me joy. When you experience joy in your life, remember other people well. Pray for other people often. Care for other people regularly. Paul says, you let Christ overflow from you into those actions and you will experience joy. Happiness is fleeting. One day it's there, one day it's gone. It's so circumstantial dependent. But you submit yourself to Jesus and fix your hope and your eyes on him and everything in your life. Allow him to transform your heart in every area that makes up you. And I promise you on the authority of God's word, this week your joy will increase. This week you will experience joy like never before. Because joy is only found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day, this opportunity, the privilege we have as your church and your people to gather around your word, lift up the name of Jesus, and draw close to you. And Father, I pray in a season of uncertainty, a season of confusion, a season of questioning your goodness, Lord, we need joy right now. And God, I pray that we would lean into the very practical nature of Philippians 1. That God, rather than being so concerned about our self-preservation this week, Lord, that we would, we would so, so, so adamantly care for the needs of others above ourselves this week, Lord, knowing that when we do that, our joy will increase. Father, fix our gaze on Jesus during these days. May we not, Lord, be focused on circumstances, Father, but may we be fixated in gazing upon Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.